I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 209. You know who likes to shine? Oh, gosh. Patrioters! Lord, help her. You know, a girl loves a rum. All right. Holly W. from Pennsylvania. Kelly G. from Georgia. Freddie from California. Karen H. from the UK. Maggie G. from California. And Jennifer B. from New Jersey. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon, for supporting us, all the things. We really appreciate it. If y'all want a shout out just like this, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast. And we did have someone sign up for the annual, so they got that 10% discount. So if you want to get a 10% discount, go on over there, sign up for the annual subscription, and you don't have to worry about it month to month. Because sometimes Patreon, I mean, no shade Patreon, but sometimes it'll just like randomly decline your card when there's no freaking reason for it. It's like been working, been working, and then boom, it declines it. And people are like, have y'all not put out an episode this month? And it's like, yeah, every week, you know, for Patreon. And it's because their card got declined. So do it once and be done. One and done. I like that. No, you don't. You like a repeat offender. I do. (laughs) I do. Okay. So I got this table from Donna. Look, this is her kitchen table that she's had since... Senior year. At least. Mm -hmm. And I fucking love it. It's round and it has got big girl friendly chairs. They have arms on them. Yeah. But they're so wide and comfortable and I've always fucking loved this table and I was like I want this table never get rid of this table like if you don't want it anymore I want it it's like solid wood heavy as shit all the things well this table was at her old old house and you know she's in her new house and nobody's living at the old house and you know what happens to an old house that nobody lives in you get a little mold I did not know it got that bad but apparently uh, yeah, if no one's in there and like the AC's not running and stuff, within a year, it can get all moldy. And this is a house that she's eventually going to tear down. Like, it's not like a, oh my God, somebody lives there or needs to live there or whatever. Anyway, so I got this table from her. And of course, like I said, covered in mold. So we pressure washed it, sanded it a little bit. And I was like, you know what? Let's just paint it because it's going to be much easier than trying to sand all this down with the spindles and all the things. I was like, let's just paint it. So I get this fancy chalk paint at this like antique vintage store that's only open once a month. And it wasn't enough paint. Okay, I did not know you bought it from that place. That is so fucking expensive. Well, what else was I going to get? I needed the chalk paint stuff because I, well, I wasn't going to prime it because this stuff you're not supposed to have to prime, but we primed it with kills to, you know, kill the shit. (laughs) They have chalk paint at Michael's. Not as good. Okay. I don't know, actually. So it was only enough to paint, like, not even half the table. So because they're only open once a month and a gallon of the paint is expensive as fuck, I was like, Colby, we can make our own chalk paint. Like, you know, all the websites, it tells you how to do it. You just need a cup of paint, a third of a cup of plaster of Paris, and a third of a cup of cold water, and you're good to go. I was like, I can do that math, you know, for a gallon of paint. I can't do that math, y'all. I can't do that math. <laughs> we made mud. Mud. Mud, I tell you. And we're trying to use our sprayer because we went fancy and bought a sprayer, too, for paint. And so we wanted to use that, but it kept, it was so thick, like it wouldn't spray. So then I was like, okay, I'm just going to paint it on with a paintbrush. But because it was so much plaster of Paris in there, it was like, had like a texture to it. And I was like, this is not fucking working. Like, but we just spent all this money to make this chalk paint. Like, we got to do something. You know, I don't want to just throw it away. Chloe's like, well, we could paint the cabinets in the garage. Because there's just like random cabinets that like don't even match Like, they're probably old from the kitchen. The previous owner just stuck them in the garage for storage. So I was like, oh, yeah, let's just do that. So we painted the cabinets, and then that made me want to have to buy new hardware for the cabinets. And then now I'm like, 
now I want to paint the whole garage. I'm not, but I want to because now I'm like, the cabinets are cream. The garage is yellow. When did my garage turn yellow? (laughs) How did I never notice that it was yellow? How did you never notice that? I don't know. But now you can really tell against the cream cabinets. So I ordered the expensive as shit paint. It'll be here in like a day. So (laughs) this project that should have taken me like three hours has taken me a whole weekend plus whatever this next part's going to take me. Oh, uh-uh. And you haven't even been able to park in your carport. Yeah, now my vehicle's as yellow as my damn garage from the pollen. Oh, well, I have a carport and mine is yellow because obviously it's open and yeah. so the pollen's like, ooh, well, let me get here. It's terrible. Why do the DIYs always take me minimum quadruple the time they're supposed to? I know, every time. Every time. It's never easy. Mm-mm. Well, you have your projects. I have mine because I think I'm about to get back on Tinder. Oh, Jesus, God. <laughs> that lasted all of two weeks. It was uh, at least two months. At least a month. No, two months. Okay. Uh-huh. Two months is a long time. Uh-huh. My roster has dwindled, so I got to build it back up. Well, that's a horror story in itself. Tinder. That could be one of your episodes and mine. <laughs> Everything is dangerous. Meeting someone outside, trying to help them, you know, they have a cast on their arm. Hey, help me move this. Trying to be a nice person. Mm-hmm. Serial killer. It, absolutely. At least this way, they have to put in at least two weeks of talking to me and putting up with me to come and possibly kill me. They deserve. <laughs> like you put in All the, work. the carbs and cocks. <laughs> yeah. If they put up with you for two weeks. I know. Especially if she's in an emotional state. Because oh, she will try to burn the city down. I shall will. Okay, so last week, your story was fucking terrible. Terrible. I'll never do that again. Well, I'll try not to. How are you going to do the same story twice? I mean, like a really sad one like that. Oh, yeah, no. No, I don't think anything you could ever do is going to be as (laughs) awful as that story. Well, someone did reach out on Instagram, and I'm not going to say their name just because they didn't say like, oh, here you go. You can talk about this, but... They said that they walked their dog there and there's no problems. However, their mom walked her dog and it was one of those that jumped off before they could even find it on the ground. It was back up and jumped off again. (gasps) So it really does happen. Like, what's the difference? Why is that a thing? You know? So I was like, that really happens. Oh my God. Well, since I'm going first this week, I decided, look, I'm going to just do this story that Feral Ann on Facebook requested because it's fucking terrible so maybe your story won't be as terrible this time and we'll just knock the first one out and just it'd be bad and let's just move on i promise mine will not be that bad this time i do want to say content warning this one is a really hard one that does involve children so this story takes place in blackstone massachusetts and it has been dubbed the blackstone house of horrors you love doing those house of horrors they really are very interesting cases to me Mm mm-hmm So on August 28th of 2014, 911 gets a call from this lady that says, hey, my son had this friend over that was playing and they've played a bunch, but they've always played like at our house. The mom came over and was like, hey, you know, can the kid like hang out today? Because I've got to go out of town or something. The 911 caller was like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Well, then the kid later asked her, how do you make a baby stop crying? I can't get the baby to stop crying. And she's like, what are you talking about? And she goes over to this house. When she walks in, she sees a house that is so filthy. I mean, trash everywhere, dirty diapers. I mean, it is disgusting. She tells them on the 911 call that it's hard to see in there because the drapes are pulled 
but that there's no power. When she walks into this room, she sees that there is a toddler and a baby that are both in this room screaming, crying, and are filthy dirty. And when she's talking to the 911 operator, she's like, what do, what do I do? Like, do I pick them up? They're so dirty. Like, what do I do? You know, because it's like, this is clearly something for police. They need to be involved. Like, this is bad. But like, I need to comfort these kids because she's a mom and her instinct is, hey, I want to comfort them. But also like, can I, can I touch anything? Like, you know, what do I do? And the 911 operator even kind of paused for a second and was like, they're on their way. I feel like even she didn't know what to do. The dispatchers like, just don't touch anything kind of. When police get there, they find that there are four kids in the house, a 13 year old and a 10 year old that had been playing with the neighbor. And the two kids that were in that room was a three-year-old little girl and a five-month-old little girl. They were both so dirty and covered in urine and feces. And the three-year-old was laying on this mattress that was soaked with urine and stool. And it was so soaked through that the middle of the mattress was sagging. That's disgusting. It's sad as fuck, but that is disgusting. The infant had been on her back for so long, the back of her head was starting to flatten. Oh my gosh. The three-year-old could not even walk. What? Those two had never been outside. What the fuck? Authorities get the kids out, take them to the hospital to be checked out and cleaned up and all the things. And after that happens, the mom gets home. Her name is Erica Murray. When they tell Erica that her kids had been taken, she didn't seem concerned at all. The thing that she asked was if her cat was okay because it's an inside cat and she didn't want it to have gotten out when police were like searching the house. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There was garbage and debris everywhere. There were places that dirty diapers were stacked two feet high. Oh my gosh. Of course, with when you're living in this amount of squalor, it comes with all the pest control issues. Okay, okay, okay. Enough on that. We all know. Don't even, I know you want to say it. Don't no, no, no. I'm not going to say it. The R word shit. Let me say roach. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, it was so bad that there were baby bottles with maggots in them. I just said we could go ahead. That is, no. And the infant baby girl had maggots on her. Oh my gosh. The police who were like the first on the scene, they said that it looked like the three-year-old had been, quote, dipped in feces. Oh my, oh, if I was that mom who found them and she was like, should I pick them up? This is why I'm not a mom because I would have been like, I ain't picking them up. Well, she like, what? Okay, that's not where I thought you were going with that sentence. She like wiped them off like with her shirt. Like I think she took her shirt off to start trying to wipe them off. But see, then I wouldn't want to do that because, I mean, not that the police would like come and be like, we don't believe you because of everything you said. But also, if they have to take pictures and stuff, you know? True. Also, the infant was severely malnourished. Well, I would think so. It was almost as if there were two sets of children and they lived very different lives in that house. You know, the older children, although they lived in that squalor, they were well nourished and had birth records because they had gone to school, but there were no birth records for these two. Wow. It's almost like she had the older two with a guy that she liked or something and then the other two it was rando people or something and so she was like resentful towards them yeah well of course erica 
is arrested. And when police go back in with search warrants, because they were like, okay, is this like a human trafficking situation? Like, what's going on? Why, you know, we don't know who these two kids are. Like, what's going on? So when they get a warrant to be able to go in and look for documentation, they find even more horrors. Oh, my gosh. When police are looking through the house, they find in a closet the remains of three dead babies. Oh, my gosh. Again, this is this was really rough, but one of them was in a backpack with the placenta and the umbilical cord still attached. What? So initially, they have no idea like how old these kids were when they died. With the amount of decay, they didn't even know the sex of the babies. They were eventually able to determine that they were all born like at separate times. And even though Erica's story changed a couple of times on like whose children they were, they were all through DNA proven to be her kids, like all seven of them. But see, Erica had told the older kids that the younger kids belonged to someone else and that they had dropped them off for her to babysit. What? But here's one of the other things that makes this case so horrible. Erica's boyfriend lived there. Wow. And it was proven through DNA tests that he was the father of all seven kids. Wow. So at first, when Erica was arrested, everybody was like, wait, hold on. The boyfriend lives there? Like, why is he not arrested? Mm-hmm. And he was basically like, she told me those kids had just been like dropped off here. She was babysitting them, just like she told the older kids. And he was like, I spent all my time in the basement. She wouldn't let me come upstairs. But I'm like, how'd you get to the basement? You uh-huh. had to walk through that. Like, there was a smell. Like, literally, there had been reports of the smell. That house was so dirty. Wow. Did she not gain any weight while she was pregnant? From what I can tell, she would wear, like, baggy clothes and stuff to hide it. But she's thin average, you know? So, yeah, I feel like it would be really difficult to hide that. But So, y'all weren't sexual at all during those times? <sighs> Girl, I don't know. And she gave birth to those kids at home, like on the bathroom floor. Oh, my God. So, I mean, I know it's possible because we've heard stories like that before. But she was so quiet that what? You never knew that she was giving birth on the bathroom floor? Well, he might not have been there. Well, it's not like she can be like, okay, he's gone to work. Let me have this baby right now. True. Who knows? Well, later it was said that the older kids helped her give birth. What the fuck? So I don't know how true that is because when they were asked about the two that were so neglected, they said that they had been dropped off and their mom was babysitting them. So And maybe they just were so brainwashed and confused and whatever. And maybe they were just talking about the three infants that had passed. You know, I, I don't know. Well, if your mama is babysitting them, she's doing a terrible job. Right? This is also a part that was just like, what? There were also remains of a couple of animals in there, dogs and cats. And I'm like, okay, why were those kept inside? Like your animal passes buried in the backyard or something. Like, why did you keep that inside? Mm -mm. As they do the test on the remains of the infants that they found in the closets, two of them had like a diaper and clothes on. And they were like, well, that doesn't necessarily prove when they died because it could have just been like, let me clothe them a mourning process for her where she 
put clothes on them and all is like air quotes around to bury them. I feel like too, her story changed so many times, but it seems like the consensus is that two of them were stillborn and one of them lived about a week. And she said that she had laid it down to take a nap, like for the baby to take a nap. And when she came back, the baby had passed. What some of the experts at trial said was, okay, so infants that are born outside of the hospital have like a 10 times higher chance of mortality rate. And the fact that these infants were born in such dirty conditions, it skyrockets that percentage because they had no medical care as far as like a midwife or anything like that. And then to be born with... I mean, there were like little kid handprints in feces on the wall. Oh, God. So, you know that there were, I mean, there were rodents and insects running around. So, there was bacteria and nastiness literally everywhere. Oh, my God. So, these babies didn't stand a chance if she's having them on the bathroom floor. A fucking Petri dish. Literally. Oh, fuck. So while Erica is in jail awaiting trial, they do arrest her boyfriend, Raymond Rivera. If anything, he's like an accessory or something, like negligence or yeah, something. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's like, they're going to protect themselves. So he's like, oh, I was only in the basement. I never was allowed upstairs. But then it's like, no, they shared a bedroom upstairs. And that bedroom was like eight feet away from where those two babies were being neglected. Right. There's literally no way that he did not hear them. First Mm -hmm. of all. And second of all, he knew they were there because he, air quotes around, thought they had been dropped off to be babysat. Right. And then third of all, you see the the squalor that you're living in. Like, you see the condition of this house. Oh, gosh. How do you live in that? I don't know. And it's like, too, with Erica, when she was at trial, there was just so much about, like, the prosecutor is painting her as like very callous and very cold and, you know, she didn't take care of them and, you know, all of that. And then the defense, of course, is painting her. She's got mental illness. She has an IQ of 84. She's emotionally and verbally abused by her boyfriend, was terrified of him and all this stuff. And, and I'm like, okay, so which is it? Like, was he controlling of her in the house because he worked and she didn't or... Like, that's not the reason, but you right, know what I mean? Like, yeah. she was living in fear and had low self-esteem and all this stuff. And, like, they shared a bedroom and all, and he was just as culpable. Or was she, like, the tyrant of the house, made him stay in the basement and never let him up? Like, there's just such, mm-hmm. like, a stark contrast of one another, I feel like. Yeah. And, and that it's definitely somewhere in between. Right. You know, even all the, like, the mental illness stuff and all of that, like, it's somewhere in between she's this cold, callous person and she has a low IQ and she thought she was doing the best for these kids because no, she didn't because she took care of the older two. Mm -hmm. And then she said that she was really scared and basically kind of got in too deep. She didn't know what to do because she didn't want Raymond to know that those other kids were his because after they had the first two, he said that he didn't want any more kids. Well, sir, you can always get a vasectomy. Okay. So when they go into the house to like clean this up to you know, oh, see what I all's in there. Even. Oh my God. Of course they're like coming in wearing hazmat suits. Uh-huh. And it's like people lived there. The cleanup of the house cost $20,000. Holy shit. Because they would have to like take hunks of drywall out because it was so disgusting. They could oh, not clean it. Oh my God. You know what? This puts Pazuzu's house to shame. For sure. And you know what I like instantly thought about? There's this girl on TikTok. 
Her name is Kate Greats, and she cleans up like the nastiest of nasty, like goes in old like apartments that have been moved out of and all that. Like the stuff that she cleans and it looks immaculate when she's finished. I'm I know like, who you're talking about. She couldn't even clean this place. No. Ugh. I truly like she couldn't even get this place clean if they hired her. Ugh. And she's fucking great. Yeah. So the law was or is, I may still be the same, is that the owner of the house is responsible for the cleanup cost. Well, Erica and Raymond don't own the house. Oh my gosh. Raymond's sister does. <gasps> Shit. Well, then the health department was like, look, this house is still, you can still smell it. It's still disgusting. They cleaned it up the best they could. It's condemned. We we got to bulldoze it. That cost another 12 grand. Oh my gosh. So they had like a meeting, for lack of a better word, where the sister was like supposed to come to like set up payments, all the things. And she was like, nah, just never showed. And so the city like took it over and they eventually bulldozed the house. And honestly, I don't even know what it is now. I guess it's just like a plot of land. Oh my gosh. Erica opted for a trial with just a judge versus a jury and honestly from a defense standpoint i was like that's actually probably a really good decision uh-huh. because you're going to take all of the emotion out of it that a right. jury would not be able to take out they had charged her with second degree murder for the three babies that were found and then of course like all the neglect and all the things i don't know what i would do if i had to see video or pictures of that house and i was on the jury you know i got a very weak stomach sometimes Especially when it comes to the R words. Well, the judge threw out one of the second degree murder charges because I think it had to have been the one, I hate saying this, the one they found in the backpack because it clearly was yeah whatever. I can't even say the words. But then eventually she was found not guilty of the other two second degree murders because there was no way to prove like cause of death. I just am like, why could that not have been like a manslaughter charge or something like that? Like, because, and this is a slippery slope to be on because, you know, it's her right to choose whether to have a child or not. I feel like go to a medical clinic, you know, yes, and it's your choice to have a home birth. But like, I feel like there has to be parameters around having these home births Mm -hmm. because you you can't have it in a house like that. Right. Like, so it's like, it's a slippery slope of like taking women's rights away, but also like, how do we protect the, whenever I was trying to like ping pong this around in my head of, you know, how, do, where do I stand on that? Like, but I feel like she intentionally did it irresponsibly mm-hmm. because she did not want to have these kids because she felt like Raymond didn't want more kids. Right. So instead of, going through the proper and safe means of having an abortion, she chose to have the kids at home and then whatever happens, happens. Right. So I just don't understand why there couldn't have been a different charge and maybe just, hey, they tried to get her for second degree murder because it was the bigger charge and it didn't work. We talked about that just not too long ago in a case, how they were waiting to charge the person who was the murderer because they didn't want it to go to trial and them lose because then now what you got nothing right she was charged with two counts of assault and battery on a child causing substantial bodily injury um two counts of reckless endangerment of a child cruelty to animals and concealing fetal death she was eventually found guilty and sentenced to six to eight years in prison are you fucking kidding me 
she'll have five years of probation after that. She basically says, I can't punish her like everybody wants me to, basically when there's no proof. Like there's no proof of what happened to those babies. And, you know, the judge was like, it's my responsibility to take the emotion out of it. I just feel like six to eight years isn't enough for child endangerment, neglect, all of that. Like six years? Are you kidding me? Well, and then Raymond was sentenced to four and a half years. And for him too, like they both got for animal cruelty. One of his was possession of marijuana because they found like where he was growing it with like intent to distribute. Oh, can you imagine that? Like that's not in the right fucking environment either. But they both have an animal cruelty thing on there. But yet they get six to eight years when they were literally allowing a toddler and an infant to live in their own excrement. Yeah, the infant has a flat head. Yes. Because you haven't done anything to it at all. The three-year-old could not walk. Right, that right there, no. like They hadn't been outside. Mm-mm. Six to eight years, that's ridiculous. That is disrespectful. I completely agree. The sentence definitely does not meet the crime. I was listening to a podcast called Morbidology. On that, she even said that Erica had created a fake Facebook It was like the mom of the two kids, air quotes, that she was babysitting. So she was like in it so deep. It's just not enough time for what happened. No. And so she was obviously covering her tracks and stuff. The defense was spinning it more of because of her mental illness, because of her like low IQ and her anxiety and depression and all of that. Obviously not. Yes, but she couldn't see a way out of it like she started this line it just like snowballed and she couldn't see a way out of it and you know this is what happened she's mentally ill all of that but it's like i don't know well great then she goes to a mental facility for the rest of her fucking life yeah and i get what the judge is saying that you do have to take emotion out of it and you have to look at the facts and all of that but even with that even taking the emotion out and looking at the facts it still deserves more time yes She's just lucky the other kids didn't die. There has to be some responsibility for the fact that the conditions of the house were so bad that the babies didn't live. So it's like, at where, like, where is the responsibility of like, okay, you chose a home birth. You chose to not, not to have, have a midwife. Yes. You chose to have them in this dirty house. You, cho- you know, you have all these things and it's like, where's the responsibility for that? Like it's all, like all of her convictions were solely on the toddler and the infant, which should happen. And those should have been longer, like she should get more time for that. But it's like, where's the responsibility for the three infant deaths? And I've realized that that's a slippery slope of like, it should be her decision to have the kid at home. Like, you know, we, we should allow home births and all of that. But it's like, okay, but there has to be something in place to keep these babies alive. Yeah. I mean, hell, you only have so long to go drop it off at a fire department before it's, yeah. no, before it's like abandonment. Right. You know? And the fact that she concealed their deaths. And her pregnancy. Yeah. Everything. Because douchebag over there didn't want more kids. Fucking ridiculous. I will say that the kids are doing so much better. The two older ones were taken in by Raymond's parents and are doing great. And then the other two were placed in foster care. And one of the physicians that examined them, like, 
examined them again in a year and they had made huge strides with their development. Wow. I just don't understand people who live like that. And I mean, you've had so many houses of horrors that you talked about. How do they hide from their family? Well, they talked about that a little bit with her. When she and Raymond had first gotten together, because she got pregnant in like her senior year of high school, they lived with her family. And then after she got pregnant again, that's when they moved in with his sister. And then the sister moved out and they just like stayed in that house. But I don't know how close like in like distance wise she was to her family for them to be able to come to see her. I don't know, but... It doesn't seem like she was very close anymore to her family. Could you imagine, though, if they kept it and someone moved in that house? I would die if it's like, wait, that's my house. Yeah. I did see this TikTok once that was this girl. She was watching like a Snapped or something. And it was like, that's my house. Yes. And I know like, God, because it's like murder and stuff. That's a lot. But murder is different than stank, than maggots. Maggots on the child oh. in the bottle. Oh, God. I mean, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. like, that's a whole nother, that burned the whole house down. They said, too, like, when they were bulldozing it, that the fire department would have to come and, like, spray the house because, like, of all the dust and just, like, the smell oh. and the, oh, God. like, flies and stuff. Oh, my gosh. If they had complaints about the smell, though, why wasn't that checked out? In this area, the Child and Family Services was under a lot of heat because just the year before, this kid had, like, wandered away and died. And his family was under an investigation. And it came out that, like, some of the appointments to come and check on him had been missed. So they were under a lot of heat. So they were like, well, how did we miss this? Because... They did some investigating and there had been one report to like the child and family services. I want to say it was for the smell of the house. But when they went to investigate, it wasn't in this point. Like it wasn't that nasty. Like the carpets were good. Like it was clean enough that they were like, no, this is fine and moved on. So I don't know. Did she like straighten it up because she knew they were coming? I don't know how many years ago that was. Was the oldest one two years old? You know, I don't know how many years ago it was. But the governor at the time, like part of his platform was to increase their social services. And they they grew that department by like $160 million or something, like 600 employees. It was two tragedies, but it really did help progress their departments. Oh, gosh. I don't know how anyone lives in that. There's a difference in like being a hoarder and that. Oh, for sure. You know, my mom was a hoarder. Not not like the movies, not like the show hoarders. No, she just had shit everywhere. Like she liked her knickknack. She liked her. Yes, she did. Knickknack, paddywhack. Oh my god, it gives me so much anxiety, and that's all I can think about. How can she, anyone, live in that house? Also, don't pretend that you care about your fucking cat when you had dead animals inside. Oh, mm-hmm. and even when she was interviewed and stuff, she would refer to the infant as it. Wow. So I don't know if she had just like disassociated so much from them so she could be able to be so neglectful because she had something in her because she took care of the Mm -hmm. oldest two, you know? Right. When also, I just feel like if you are capable of doing that, you have like your own thought process. You have this ability to Mm -hmm. know right from wrong and all of that. Like, oh. Oh, speaking of that, 
And they said that the reason, too, why they were like, no, she's not the way that the defense is describing her because, and I don't really understand when this happened, like when she saw the kid. I don't know. She said to the 10-year-old that had gone and got the neighbor was like, why did you do this to me? So, like, she knew. Yeah. Luckily, mine's not that sad or disgusting. Yeah. It was just heavy. I mean, oh, God. How can you do that to somebody? You basically took my story from last week and said, here, hold my beer. True. All right. It deals with a kid, but not in the way you're thinking. So, picture it. Manchester, Connecticut, 1993. It was an ordinary night in the Jones family home. The mother, Denise, was setting the table for dinner when all of a sudden she heard her five-year-old son, Michael, scream out for her. She, of course, took off thinking that he had hurt himself or something, so she went to his room. She found him curled up with his hands clutching his knees to his chest. I could never do that. But he was laying beside his bed, and he was shaking. She asked him what happened, and he told her that there was a man in his room. So she looked around just to see if she could see anything, because there's no way a man left his room without her seeing him first. But that's when Michael told her that he wasn't a normal man. He looked like he had been colored with a white crayon and was very old. He appeared in front of Michael and reached out to touch him on his shoulder, but he didn't get, like, he didn't make contact. Michael said that he was smiling and then he just disappeared. And I loved his description of it being like a white crayon, like colored with a white crayon. Mm -hmm. Because it just proves like he's still a child. Well, Denise didn't really know what to do with that information. So she just assured him that he was safe now. Fast forward a little bit and Michael and his family were visiting his grandparents' house. Denise was in the kitchen sitting at the table talking to her parents when she heard Michael scream again. Richard, Michael's grandfather, ran over to see if he could help, and that's when he found Michael pointing to a picture. He was screaming, that's him, that's the man I saw. Well, so they had to tell the grandparents, like, so this is what had happened, you know, like, this is the man he's talking about then. Turns out it was his great-grandfather who had died 17 years before when his mom was about 10 years old. Now, they say that was the first time he'd ever seen a picture of his great-grandfather. And at first, I was like, I roll, like, whatever. But if he was five years old and the picture's up on the wall, he might not have ever really, like, studied it. You know, he might not be nosy as me. No one. No (laughs) one in the history of anyone is as nosy as you, ma'am. So it's a little more believable that he didn't know who his great-grandfather was. I don't know if I could tell you what my great-grandfather looks like. Definitely couldn't. I know what my grandfather looks like. And even then, I only knew him in his older age when his Alzheimer's was really bad. And he was like the sickly old man who lived with us. When my mom was alive, I saw pictures and I was like, who is that? And she was like, that's Papa. But he was like a bigger man. I never knew him as that. Yeah. I only met my dad's dad once. So he would be harder. I could probably pick him out. Not an old man. I could pick him out young. Not Mm. as an old man. But still, like, is it the first time he ever saw a picture? I don't know. He could have seen that and not remembered. Or if he saw a ghost and it kind of looked like that, he thought it was his great grandfather. I don't know. I'm just saying it was an instant eye roll. And then I was like, well... Maybe I shouldn't be judging because, again, I don't know my great grandpeeps. Well, after figuring out who the ghost was, Michael was more at ease because he knew his great grandfather wouldn't hurt him. 
And even though Denise wanted to believe her son, she just didn't understand how he was seeing ghosts. So when he was six, they went to a school counselor and then a neurologist and a psychologist because he was still seeing ghosts. And all of their reports came back. He was healthy mentally and physically. And there was no quote unquote cause for this to happen. And I think Denise just kept dismissing this as his imagination because again, like everyone's saying there's nothing wrong with him. And so she was like, hmm, maybe Michael just concocted this to pass the time or something. Like, I don't know. Whatevs. But Denise was eventually brought face to face with the fact that Michael wasn't making all of this up in his mind. Things started happening around the house that affected everyone. Like once Michael and Kenny, who was his older brother, they were playing a board game and all of a sudden the game pieces and cards flew off the board and then the dice flew across the room. Now that could have been just a tantrum that, you know, like, oh, you beat me in Monopoly and like hit the board. But both boys agreed that no one touched the game board. And later, the parents found some pieces basically embedded in the wall. So it flew with such force that it got stuck in the wall. Jeez. Now, one explanation for this is psychokinesis, where you move things with your mind. So it could have been like a tantrum, but like on steroids. Well, if you actually watched Matilda, you would understand (laughs) this. But like on Matilda... (laughs) like not a tantrum but like she gets so angry and so like and then that's how she harnesses it because it happens and then she's like yell at me again dad and he like starts screaming at her you did sound just like that girl i only know her from miracle on 34th street great movie great movie and mrs doubtfire oh yeah 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 yeah. but she wasn't the star in that show well none of the kids were (laughs) i know so it's like me Things such as lights turning on and off would happen. Water faucets would randomly turn on full blast. There are multiple instances where the family would be out of the house and then return later to find all the cabinet doors have been opened in the kitchen. But the kitchen also had some weird activity where the refrigerator was tilted so much that some of the containers that had liquid in it, they had spilled out on the floor. I am not trying to clean up a ghost's tantrum. No, not at all. What in the actual, find another way to pitch fit. (laughs) Right? Also, I hate cleaning out a refrigerator. So the idea of it leaking everywhere and then onto the floor, no thanks. I'm just picturing like Kool-Aid, you know, something real sticky. Ugh. Okay, see, when I grew up, we didn't have sugar in our Kool-Aid, so it would not have been sticky. What? Yeah, we had those like... Uh, maybe Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid when we were little. But like my dad always get those crystal light packet things that you make a, he called them his red drink, you know? <laughs> of course your dad called them his red drink. <laughs> so maybe when I was little, little, but we didn't get Kool-Aid really. That was cheap. So my mama could make us drink for cheap. We had tea. We did tea. Well, we also did tea. Like South iced sweet tea. Yeah. Not like, can I have a spot of tea? Not like that. (laughs) We had tea and Kool-Aid. And then also purple drink and like purple soda. Also, there were plates, glasses, utensils, anything that you could imagine being in a kitchen. They were all piled up on the kitchen table, like in stacks. But the activity wasn't the only thing changing in the house. Michael told Denise that he had talked to his great-grandpa and he had told Michael that he was there to protect him because there were evil spirits that wanted to hurt him. He went on to explain that there were several good and bad ghosts who were basically fighting over Michael. So I can only imagine 
your son telling you this? Like, what do you do? How do you help him? So finally, Denise was like, okay, let me get another kind of expert in here. So she found a paranormal expert named John Zaffis. Now, what's kind of weird to me and weird like in a synchronicity way, when John was younger, he had an experience that made him believe in ghosts and things beyond our realm. He was 16 years old and he woke up to an apparition of an old man at the foot of his bed. And the old man was just shaking his head, not in a chaotic way, just in a like, I can't believe that kind of way. Like, you know, when you would like shake your head and like scratch your head. I went straight to in a disappointment kind of way. Oh, true. Yeah. Well, John told his mom about what he saw and she was like, oh my God, that sounds like your grandfather. Because when he was alive, he would shake his head in disbelief and in anger when he was upset. Well, a few days later, John's grandmother passed away. She lived with them. And so it was like the grandfather came back to one, warn someone that it was going to happen. And he was upset, hence the head shake. And two, be there to be joined with his wife again in the afterlife. Anyway, I just thought it was cool that Michael's first experience was his great-grandfather, and then the expert who's helping him, John's first experience was his grandfather. And also, just an aside, Jason from Ghost Hunters, like the original Ghost Hunters, he said that he worked with John for counseling when he first encountered apparitions when he was 20 years old. John was a very well-known paranormal investigator, and he didn't just jump to it's a ghost. He wanted to make sure the person was mentally and physically sound, check out the environment, all the things to not just be like demon right off the bat. I mean, did he get there though? Yes. So they went through different evaluations and stuff and he found everyone seemed to be normal read. But something that shook John was Michael's drawings. He would constantly draw this black figure that he had like scribbled all the black lines to fill in the outline. He called him the Black Shadow Man. Very original. Well, it's not like he knows the Shadow Man from reading about it on the internet. No, I know. He said that he would see it almost every night, but he said it wasn't just one single Shadow Man. It was actually several, but he would just see them one by one. So like it'd be a little thinner one night or taller one night, that kind of thing. And in his drawings, he wrote that it was a demon in the door. It was kind of sad, but like, oh, like when you're looking at it, you're like, oh, because he misspelled demon. It was like D-E-A-M-O-N-D. Like, you know, yeah. But again, it just shows his age. And it's just sad that he was having this happen to him at such a young age, like that he's having to spell demon. Yeah. Like, this is a demon that's at my door. Anyway, over the course of the evaluations, something stuck out to John. When Michael was born, he had a lot of trouble. Like, his heart stopped 26 times. Holy shit. So John was like, um, Michael had multiple near-death experiences. So probably since birth, he's had that ability to talk and see ghosts. He just could never vocalize it until that time when he was five. But John was worried because of all of his drawings about that shadow man. He was like, okay, it seems like the activity's ramping up and it's getting stronger because of the shadow person. He thought Michael could be possessed by this entity soon. One incident that kind of sealed the deal that Michael might be preyed on was one night, Dennis and Bruce, who's Michael's stepdad, they were downstairs in the living room and they heard some banging upstairs. And at first they were like, oh, the usual weird activity. Cool, cool. But then they heard like a loud thump or like something fell. 
So they ran upstairs. Michael was on his bed holding on for dear life because his bed was shaking up and down. And so that was what was making the bumps and the thumbs. They said the bed levitated about three inches off the floor for a moment. Bruce ran in, got Michael off the bed, and all of the family left that house that night. They were just too scared to be there. After that incident, the attacks got worse. Michael would be hit by an unseen entity, poked, scratched, and John was like, oh shit, these are physical manifestations, and that's a sign that he has an attachment or like possession is just around the corner. And this was the final straw for Denise and Bruce. So they put the home for sale, moved across town, but they kind of just failed to grasp the reality that it was Michael, not the property that was being haunted, but they were doing what they could do. And so, of course, the new house had all the same old problems. Denise, Kenny, and Michael, they were all in the living room, and Kenny and Michael, they were watching TV while Denise was on the phone talking to her mom. Well, out of the blue, Michael started screaming, and he said he felt like a sharp pain, like a blade against his skin. And while he was saying that it was burning and all of that, a long scratch appeared and it had like some blood that it had drawn. It wasn't like dripping blood, but you know, like when it's just underneath the skin. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to 1998, Denise was at her wit's end. So she turned to the only thing they hadn't really tried. And that was trusting in their religion. They were Catholic. So she got in touch with a bishop and she pleaded with him to save her child. So the bishop was like, yeah, let me do an exorcism real quick. It'll be great. His name was Robert McKenna and he was doing the whole damn thing. And Michael kept staring at the corner of the church and it was a shadow man. Michael could see his whole body there just standing there. And when Michael focused on the shadow man, his stomach started hurting really badly. The bishop was like, oh, here, drink this. And so he did. And it was holy water. And so he was like, you know, be healed, all the things. And that was that. The exorcism was complete. However, he did tell Dennis and Bruce like, hey, Michael might have to be exorcised again. Maybe your house too. But this should work. And for about three weeks, the exorcism had done its job, but it all began again. In 1999, Michael's bestie, Brandon Magnata, came over to hang out, but Michael wasn't there. Now, Denise said that Brandon left shortly after because, you know, Michael wasn't there, but he was wearing Michael's jacket. And that day, Brandon was sadly killed because he rode his bike into oncoming traffic. Oh my God. Now, what Denise says is that she believes the evil spirits that were attacking Michael confused Brandon with him because he was wearing Michael's jacket. Seems a little far-fetched, but also... Janet, Brandon's mother, the boy who died, said he wasn't wearing Michael's jacket and it was the day after he went to visit Michael that he died. So it's kind of like, are you just trying to make this sound bigger than it is? Right. Either way, it's sad as fuck. Michael said it was shortly after this, he was really depressed about his bestie dying, of course, and he just wanted to be able to rest. So he turned on all the lights, he prayed for a peaceful night's sleep, but sadly, that night was not peaceful at all. Everyone heard someone walking up and down the upstairs hallway, and they were all in their bed, so they knew it wasn't any of them, so they were all on high alert. Then doors were heard being opened and then slammed shut. And after that, there was some soft laughter 
And it was just like, whatever was doing this was kind of like enjoying tormenting them. But then Bruce and Denise heard something that sounded like Michael was calling out for his mom. So they raced to the bedroom, but Bruce couldn't open the door. Finally, after a few times of ramming his shoulder against the door, it flew open. There, a terrified Michael was huddled in the corner with his pajamas that looked to have been ripped in multiple areas. In the middle of the floor were his blankets. And they said it looked like a noose was formed from them. But I don't know if they were exaggerating or it could have looked like that to them. Because you know when you're in a scary situation, you think you hear a noise or something, you're going to be on edge. So anything looks scary and is that out of place? Is that whatever? So I feel like if they were just tangled, they were like, it's a noose. Yeah. And I'm not faulting them for that. I would do the same thing. There's places that I've seen in the woods, like the naughty part of a wood. And I'm like, that's a face. That's an evil face. Oh, for sure. And like, I can't unsee it now. What's that thing called where you try to like make your like your brain immediately tries to make sense out of whatever you see? Like it yeah. tries to process it as something that you already know. Yeah. I don't know what it's called, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, that like it's like, oh, it's jumbled up rope. That must be a noose. Well, speaking of seeing stuff, only this time is for real. And it's good. It's like good not being like a noose. Right. So the other day, Donna and I were doing our monthly live on Facebook. And some of the people who were in attendance were like, oh, my God, Carrie, your hair looks so good. Like, what'd you do different? And, you know, my regular answer of I washed it. But I was using literally all living proof products. I used the shampoo, the conditioner, the leave-in oil for curly hair and the curling cream. Your curls really were on point. And everybody was like, your hair even looks like it smells good. And I was like, because mm, it does. It really does. And I smelled it because, you know, again, I'm nosy. And I was like, it does. I love how living proof smells. But it's so crazy that people noticed my hair because I kind of flipped back and forth between curly and straight hair. And people were like, wait, no, like it really looks good. And I was using all living proof products. So if you're like, oh my gosh, my hair needs a reset, uh, Living Proof is for you. Take me and Carrie, for example, we're not one size fits all. She has long curly hair. I have four strands of short hair, but they have a line for everyone. And the whole thing is it's founded by a team of scientists and hairstylists. So literally scientists have engineered product to solve the toughest hair challenges and the whole thing is to not conceal it. Let's get to the root of it. Pun intended. Uh -huh. So put that science to work and unlock your best hair with Living Proof. www.livingproof.com slash creep and use promo code creep10. Like the number one zero. That's livingproof.com slash creep. Promo code creep10. Hey, and it's proof, P-R-O-O-F, livingproof.com slash creep, promo code creep10. You don't want to miss it. In the following years, Michael ended up having to have four exorcisms, and the family moved eight times. Unfortunately, everything they tried was only a Band-Aid, and nothing lasted. But Michael has been in counseling to help him cope with his abilities and try to live his life as normal as possible. John Zaffis says that he has hope for the Jones family and that it's always darkest before the dawn, and he believes the dawn of their new life is just over the horizon. I also want to say that Denise Jones wrote a book about Michael's life called The Other Side, The True Story of the Boy Who Sees Ghost. 
Oh, and to end on this, I saw something on a website called thenest.com, and it's the New England Skeptical Society. That sounds like something I need to be a member of. Right? Well, they were talking about Michael's case, and they went into some detail about how Denise was hooked up with Robert McKenna, who did the first exorcism. So apparently, Denise got in touch with Keith, who is over issue, which is investigations of strange sightings and unexplained events. But they're like very secretive and shit. You can't just Google issue. It does not come up. So it's all word of mouth. Well, Ness said that Robert McKenna, who did the exorcism, turns out he had been like excommunicated from the church. Oh. Furthermore, he believes that the Pope isn't Catholic. I was like, wait, what? I don't know. It just seems like, eh, what? That sounds like the Catholic version of QAnon. (laughs) Well, also, Robert McKenna, he had done like, like it was like 125 exorcisms. They asked him what his prerequisites were, and he was like, none. Like, if the parents tell me their child is possessed, like, I take them at their word. Like, what, sir? That is not how you do it. No wonder you have 125 exorcisms in, like, the last 10 years because uh, you're just like, all right, step right up. You know, like, what? Yeah, literally anyone and everyone. Yeah, but even this guy who basically was like, if they say he's possessed, I'll do an exorcism. He disagreed with Keith of the issue, like secretive issue, when he brought Michael's case before him, though he did do the first exorcism. Let's just note that. But he said after performing the rite on Michael, he did it for an hour. He was like, mm, I think Keith was wrong. Like he's not possessed because he didn't react throughout the exorcism. Remember, he was like looking over at the shadow man, he said. And and, drank the holy water. Right. But just the fact that they like got him in the church. Right. Yes. Uh, Because when you said that, I was like, he went to the church. But who knows if it's actually a church because he was excommunicated from the Catholic church. So I don't know. Well, he said lack of evidence and that it should be a case of obsession rather than possession, which would be, quote, being haunted from without rather from within. Sounds like he's throwing some shade. Right. But I'm like, but you did it. You probably would have done it again had they asked you, but they went somewhere else. Who knows? But I just wanted to include that because it was like, that's some shady kind of shit right there. There's not a lot on Michael's case. I saw this on Unsolved Mysteries and then they did a follow up on him. And that's when we found out that he had been through like four exorcisms. They moved eight times, but they really didn't get a lot of like press for this. There's not just like boo coodles of shit out there about it. However, she did write that book. I'm torn on, is this real or is this like Denise wants it to be real? I don't understand why they had to move so many times if it's clearly not the house. Right. I think because for a little bit, every time they would move, it would be normal and then wouldn't be normal. But also I'm like unlucky that you have to move all the time, but you're very lucky to be able to move Mm -hmm. because so many people are like, we're stuck here. What do we do? But yeah, that is the case of Michael Jones. And they said he is the, quote, ghost boy. That's what his mom would call him. Yeah, his mom wants some money. But like you said, though, they hadn't done a lot of stuff. Even if maybe they don't get a lot of money, she just wants a little bit of fame from it. Maybe. But also, like, John Zaffis, who is really big in the paranormal community and stuff, he 
spent out like hundreds of hours with the family doing all the tests, all the things, and he was certain it was real. So I don't know. I don't think that those have to be mutually exclusive. I think that she could want money and want the fame from it and him actually have a little bit of truth to it. That's true. Also, I thought it was interesting. Like Michael is one of the first people who have had something in their life happen and that he didn't go on to be a psychic, a medium, anything in the paranormal industry. Because so many times I am telling the like origin story of how the psychic got into the thing. You know what I mean? Well, hell, even just the guy who helped him. Yeah. How he got into it. That was interesting too. So it's like, is it real? And he just is like, I don't want this part of my life. Or is it fake? And that's why he's not part of it. You know, because so many people want to pay it forward because they didn't have the help they needed or whatever. So I don't know. Again, it's just like, is it? Isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, but he didn't have to take over the family business just because his dad owned it kind of thing. Very true. So see, mine was about a kid, but not sad like yours. Yeah, mine was pretty terrible. Yours was real bad. (laughs) Like I haven't stopped thinking about the condition of the house. At least you ended on a positive note, though, that the infant and the toddler, they were thriving in their new homes. So that's all we can hope for. Absolutely, because that story was so freaking sad. Yes. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I hate to say, like, we hope you enjoyed the stories because, no, Carrie's was terrible. Well, I had to do something. Last week was terrible for you. (laughs) Thanks for taking one for the team. You're welcome. If y'all have any suggestions, because we know Carrie loves to do them, and y'all be giving her some good ones in the worst way, but good. Go to the Facebook group. There's a suggestion box post that's tagged. Or you could just search it in the group because that's how I find it every single time. (laughs) Yeah, and drop it in there. Thank y'all so much for listening. Like Donna said, I can't remember if it was this week or last week, but we know that times are tough and money is tight. So don't forget that there are so many ways you can support us. You can like our posts on social media, share things. But more importantly, you can like, review, subscribe, all those things on all the different platforms. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.